0: Hello, and welcome to the Disciple Science Podcast. I'm Dale Gentry, and this week I'll be going through some of the questions that we received in response to our first video, which was asking, is there tension between science and Christian faith? Some of these questions were sent in via social media, and we appreciate those people getting in touch with us. Some are from my students, who I asked for constructive feedback. And others come from colleagues or friends who watched the video and got in touch to share some of their questions. Now, it's a little bit dicey to call these question and answer episodes because that implies that I will have all the answers or that even my guests will have all the answers. And so I just want to acknowledge that as we go through this material and dissect the intersection of science and faith, that there are some aspects of it that are A little bit mysterious, and we won't always have answers that will leave everybody feeling like we can put that issue to bed. But there are many aspects of it where I think we have a much clearer understanding of how these two fields of knowledge can coexist in a way that many people might not um, be aware of. And that's where I hope I can provide some insights that will be a source of encouragement to you as you consider your own faith and your interest in the natural world. So we're going to call these question and response episodes in hoping that my responses will uh, be satisfactory to you to answer your questions. And further, this isn't a perfect format for addressing these questions. I would love to sit down and have a conversation with everybody that sent in a question. But I do want to encourage people to send in their questions and concerns that will inevitably pop up from some of the material that we produce. The intersection between science and faith is sometimes beautiful and elegant, but other times it can be a little bit messy. And so so I want to use these question and response episodes to uh, give us some space to go through the questions that will pop up. If you're listening and you have questions of your own, please consider sending them in. You can do so via email. Our address is disciplescience1 at gmail.com. Or you can tweet them, or you can tweet your questions at us. Our handle is at disciplescience. Or you can post them on our Facebook page or in the comments section of our YouTube channel. The point is, if you have questions, please find a way to get them to us so that we can get them answered. Our first question was about the topic of methodological naturalism, which featured prominently in that first video. This question is from Thomas Dykstra, who asks, if methodological naturalism is the belief that there are only natural forces that control and operate the world, what are the specific scientific methods that Christian scientists use? This is a a great question, and it's uh, an important distinction, which is why I want to answer it. So methodological naturalism isn't a naturalistic worldview. It's just an approach to science, which seeks to provide answers from only natural causes. And so many Christians are very comfortable with methodological naturalism as an approach to science. And in fact, we want scientists to primarily use methodological naturalism. Imagine going to a physician and uh, saying, Doc, I'm, I'm not feeling good. What ails me? What's the cause of my of my pain? And you would want that physician to search for a natural cause, uh, an infection or an illness or uh, something that is hopefully treatable, but ideally could be explained and make sense and that you and your physician now have an understanding of what What's causing your 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 discomfort? What you don't want is your physician to provide an explanation that is um, uh, rooted in you know some some something like we would see in the book of Job, where when Job is going through um, tremendous discomfort, his buddies said, "Boy, Job, you really must have been an awful. You must have done something terrible because God's punishing you." And that was an approach that we might have seen centuries ago where an ailment might have led to the conclusion that you have done something wrong and God is punishing you. Some of us might even take that position. I don't know that I would go in that direction, but what I want my physician to do is to seek natural explanations. And if you want to be a scientist, that's basically what you're doing is seeking natural explanations for how the world works. So how does that fit with our Christian worldview? Well, I would say the Christians fall into one of three, maybe four different camps on the beliefs of how natural explanations coexist with the existence of God. And the questions are really, is causation that's associated with the natural world compatible or incompatible with causation through God? And... Um, I would say almost all Christians are comfortable with those two things happening at the same time, right? If we use gravity to explain the motion of the planets, we can be comfortable with the idea that God is the originator of the process of gravity. So God is responsible for why gravity works the way it is. So when we say that gravity is why these things work, that is compatible with the belief that God is the um, is the source of that gravity, or is the reason for the gravity to exist in the first place. And so the explanations from science don't conflict with what uh, we believe about who God is and how God acts. So many Christians are very comfortable with that, and they would approach science with kind of this naturalistic, or sorry, a methodological naturalism perspective, and that God very rarely, steps in to perform miracles so that we can be awed at the presence of God and so that we can know God is there. And so, for example... Uh, this story of the resurrection of Jesus is just beyond explanation, right? Nobody should say that, well, perhaps Jesus was just uh, in some sort of deep sleep or maybe he was, uh, you know, nearly dead but not fully dead and he recovered when he was in the tomb. We aren't taking that approach. We believe God was fully dead or Jesus was fully dead and that he was resurrected and that that can only be explained through some sort of intervention from God, but that we think God doesn't intervene that way all the time. So that group of Christians would say uh, God uses miracles to reveal his power in very uncommon circumstances. Now, another group of Christians uh, might argue that God is present and visible in nature a little bit more commonly. They think that God is revealing his presence specifically through aspects in nature that can't be easily explained by science. And this perspective is aligned with what we call the intelligent design movement. And it's important to make a distinction that not everybody that believes in an intelligent designer, which would be, you know, almost all theists, are advocates of this intelligent design movement, which is the belief that God can be detected in nature through things that have n- no simple scientific explanation. So not everybody adheres to that perspective. So that's that's your second camp that God is visible in nature through things that God is responsible for more commonly than just these exceptional unusual miracles. And then the third camp Uh, is probably associated most with the young earth creationist view that God is interceding quite regularly. And those that adhere to a young earth creationist uh, perspective are more comfortable saying God did this and God did that and divine intervention is responsible for this thing and that thing to explain how the world works. For example, Um, If we look at the stars up in the cosmos, we believe that many of those stars are millions, uh, if not billions, of light years away. So the way a light year works is that it is a measure of distance. It's the distance that light can travel in a calendar year. So if a star is 100 million light years away then that light was emanated from that star 100 million years ago. And so it wouldn't be visible on our planet for 100 million years. So based on that idea, those that hold to a old Earth view would say, that star must be hundreds of millions of years old. And those with the young Earth creationist view would say, I believe that God intervened and either created that light already on its way, or God manipulated the speed of light and sped up that light so it got here sooner so that they can hold to their belief that the earth and the universe is just thousands of years old and they do so by using God as an explanation for how things happen. Okay, so we have these three different camps. Some say God is sustaining creation through natural processes and very rarely intervenes. Some say God is sustaining creation through natural processes and slightly more frequently intervenes. And the young earth creationist group would say God is sustaining creation through natural processes, but quite frequently intervenes with in miraculous divine ways. So regardless of which camp you're in, Virtually all scientists, Christians or or non Christians, theists or non theists, adhere to some version of methodological naturalism in their day to day studies. Our concern is that a commitment to naturalism in science doesn't then turn into a commitment to naturalism in all questions. Because if you hold to naturalism when asking questions like, why am I here? And do I have a purpose? And is there anything that is good or evil? Are those just human constructs? Then I think the logical conclusion of naturalism is atheism and a purposeless life. And uh, I think that's a great, a great concern, right? So that's the point of the video is to say that methodological naturalism in science, which I find Perfectly adequate to explain how the world works, most of it. There are some areas where maybe it's a little fuzzy, Um, shouldn't then be translated into a naturalistic worldview. I hope that helps. Thomas, thanks for your excellent question. And let me move on to uh, the next question. And I got a couple questions actually basically saying, okay, perhaps we can envision science and faith as more compatible, but what do we do when they're is a perceived conflict between what we see in scripture and what is revealed by science. Uh, So let me just read one of these. A question from Anna Paulson said just that, what should we do when the things that we are discovering in science seem not to line up with our faith and what the Bible says? And this is uh, tricky, obviously, but what I think we need to do is just scrutinize both of those sources and confirm that what we think the Bible is saying is what the Bible is saying. And we need to scrutinize that what the science is saying is what the science is saying, because both of those are prone to misunderstanding and misinterpretation. So I think the science is most easily misunderstood in that sometimes statements of scientists are misconstrued as statements of science. Uh, One obvious example are when people like Stephen Hawking or perhaps uh, Richard Dawkins, who are respected scientists in their field, then make metaphysical conclusions and say, because of my understanding and my worldview, I can deduce that there is no God. And so I think in those cases, we have to separate what their science is revealing versus their belief, I would say their faith, that there there is no um, deity out there. So we have to make sure that the statements of scientists are not misunderstood as conclusions of science. Those are not always the same thing. In the same way, the Bible is also frequently misunderstood. The Bible can be interpreted incorrectly. And uh, the most obvious, famous example of this is the uh, uh, the Galileo affair and the circumstance in which many people were quite convinced that the Bible was revealing to us that the uh, earth is the center of the universe, that it does not move, and that the sun is revolving around us. And um, and therefore, it caused some confusion when the scientific evidence pointed in the opposite direction. And over time, it took a while, but over time, we did get comfortable with the idea that, oh, maybe, maybe the Bible isn't trying to teach us the way of the cosmos, or as Galileo famously said, the, the Bible tells us the way to go to heaven, not the way the heavens go. And so that's not to say that that will solve all problems, that we should just default to science in every question of the natural world. But I think that if we scrutinize the scripture and the theology, and if we scrutinize the science, what we should find is that they are not directly in conflict with each other. And this is uh, held by this Um, statement that is probably quite familiar to many of you that all truth is God's truth. And that's an ancient idea that holds that if God inspired scripture and that if God created the universe, then what we find in those two resources will not conflict and that we can uh, make sense of them as they are. So thank you for your question, Anna. Uh, sometimes there are perceived conflicts, but I think if we, if we dig in, we'll find that they are, are not true conflicts. All right, I got a great question from one of my colleagues, uh, Bill Epright, who asked, should the mass media get some of the blame for the perception of conflict between science and faith? And I think this is important. We didn't really address this. We're really you know, getting at the root of what science says and the root of what religion has for us. But certainly uh, the mass media should be mentioned because so much of our social perception of many topics from politics or religion or, and science are filtered through what the media exposes us to. Right? So much of what we hear, we wouldn't even know it was going on if we didn't read a news story about it. And we all know that the media works uh, based off of clicks and subscriptions, and therefore they are going to give us the headlines that are salacious, that earn lots of clicks and lots of attention. And it's unfortunate, but the peaceful coexistence of science and faith, while it might catch some people off guard, probably won't draw as much attention as a a bloody battle, knockout, dragout war between uh, science and a religious commitment. So the old adage that if it bleeds, it leads, that seems to apply here as well, and that the, the media is eager to talk to the uh, warfare uh, model between science and faith because it probably earns a lot of attention when they do so. So uh, thanks, Bill, for that question. I think we do have to uh, filter our... Um, understandings through what we encounter in the media, not to say that we should disregard the media, but we should take it all with a grain of salt and dig into those original scientific sources, dig into the original, um, and dig into the original biblical sources or scriptural sources or, or background for theology. And I think we will find that there is much less conflict if we do that. Okay, um, I. Got a great question and a couple of good questions about miracles. This question comes from Emma Cromer, who asked, can you explain what Dawkins means when he says miracles are contradictory to science? Yeah, that's a great question. That's worth unpacking a little bit. So science, again, is the study of the material world. And one of the underlying assumptions of science and many People would argue that this underlying assumption is rooted in the Judeo Christian view of a creator who created an orderly world. But again, that's beside the point. One of the underlying assumptions of science is that the world is an orderly place and that things happen the way they happen for a reason, and that we can study the way those things happen and deduce things like laws and theories that explain the way they work, right? So a scientific law says, this is the way it happens. This is the way it always happens. It never doesn't happen this way, right? So a scientific law says, this is the way it always happens. We'll t- talk about the difference between laws and theories at another time, but we're probably all fairly comfortable with that. So we have the law of gravity. We have the, the laws of thermodynamics and we have the laws of, of matter and energy. So these laws, scientists believe, cannot be broken. So when a miracle is reported to have occurred, like the resurrection of Jesus after three days in the tomb, uh, that breaks those laws that we adhere to. Now, there's not like a law of life, but there is this you know, fundamental understanding of how life works and that once something is thoroughly dead, good and dead, It does not come back to life on its own. And so a scientist that holds to a naturalistic perspective, a naturalistic worldview, as we called it, or a materialist worldview, would say, that did not happen because it could not have happened because it breaks the laws of science. And those of us that hold to a Christian worldview would say, wow, if that happened, and right? We think that there is actually quite compelling evidence that it did happen. If that happened, we need a different explanation. And perhaps we need an explanation that lies outside the realm of what science can explain. And so we would appeal to God to explain how that happened. But again, someone like Dawkins, someone with a materialist, naturalist worldview says the laws of nature tell us that that could not have happened, that did not happen. So they they say if there's evidence that it happened the evidence must be wrong because the orderliness of the universe and the cosmos and the world and our ability to understand it through the application of the laws of nature tell us couldn't have happened so they he says when he says miracles are contradictory to science what he's saying is that science is rooted in the assumption that the that the earth and the cosmos is orderly and that things don't just break those laws willy nilly without explanation. And I agree with that. I just think that there is an explanation and that God decided to intercede and reveal his power to us through the resurrection of Jesus so that we would give more attention to the teachings of Jesus, right? So that we could experience um, salvation, so that we could. Uh, be compelled and choose to follow Jesus because of that remarkable account of his resurrection. Uh, Okay, I hope that helps, Emma. Thanks for your question. I got a number of questions of people just a little bit, you know, hoping for some examples of people that we can look to for um, uh, visions of of the compatibility. So this question came from Kelly Mickelson, who asked, who are some Christian scientists that we can look up and research further to help us understand the natural world? Basically, who are some people that we can trust, share our worldview and won't draw the wrong conclusions? And um, the good news is that there are there are thousands of um, passionate um, uh, Christians who are following Jesus with everything they are and that are outstanding scientists of uh, that are highly respected in their field. And so I'll just throw a few names out there. Uh, those of you that are uh, engaged with this topic and the dialogue between science and faith, you'll probably, learn a little something about me by some of the names that I throw out there, people that I respect the most, uh, but uh, we'll just get started. So um, there are people in all different fields of science, um, like in biology, uh, Francis Collins is a renowned uh, geneticist who is um, a prominent advocate for the compatibility of, of science and faith. Um, uh, Dennis Lamoureux is an evolutionary biologist we'll dig into the origins debate in much more detail in the future, but he has uh, written a number of books. One of them says, I love Jesus, and I believe that evolution is true, right? There are, um, uh, you all know that I love birds, and I also uh, love dinosaurs, and there are a couple of prominent paleontologists that are uh, followers of Jesus, Robert Baker and Mary Schweitzer, that have both talked about their faith and their compatibility of what they deduce from mainstream science with their relationship with Jesus. Um, also in my field of, of life and in ecology, Fred Van Dyke and uh, Calvin DeWitt are, have been just remarkable leaders uh, giving us a vision of how an understanding of, of wildlife and communities and populations and ecosystems is fully compatible with their uh, religious faith. In climate science, which is a topic of great concern and interest and, and, some, conserv- and some controversy, uh, Catherine Hayhoe has been a vocal uh, uh, voice in the Christian world, as is John Houghton, um, uh, or Houghton, I think it is, that are both have talked about their Christian faith and their commitment to, to God. Uh, And then we have across the pond in the UK, um, uh, John Polkinghorne, who's a physicist and is an ordained um, minister and is a leader in the field of the intersection of science and faith. John Lennox, who's a pure mathematician and just a wonderful speaker and author who talks so passionately about his understanding of the the reason behind mathematics and his relationship with God. And so it's really actually quite a, a long list. And I think there's actually a Wikipedia page. Thank you, Wikipedia, for giving us all the knowledge that we need in the world. Um, hopefully you all know I'm saying that tongue-in-cheek, but there is a Wikipedia page that lists Christians in the sciences. So um, we can Uh, see not only examples of people following God and being good scientists, but we can also be encouraged that these um, two fields of knowledge don't have to be in conflict. Uh, Now, there are also a number of wonderful theologians that have written and talked on um, the intersection of science and faith, including uh, Alistair McGrath and N.T. Wright and Nancy Murphy and John Walton and C. John Collins and John Stott, and the list can go on and on, um, Scott McKnight. Uh, so just just great um, uh, believers, theologians, biblical scholars who see uh, compatibility between um, studying the natural world and understanding of the natural world that generally aligns with mainstream science and a belief in um, uh, uh, scripture and God and miracles, so it, be encouraged. I think this is this is really something that we should um, we can dig into with confidence that they are compatible. And I hope that this podcast and our videos will will uh, give you further uh, encouragement and resources to support that same conclusion. Uh, one last question uh, from one of my students, Ty Schroeder, who asked. How should we lead a life involving both science and faith if it makes us strangers in both fields? How would we go about convincing churches that we can be Christians while studying science, especially those that are seemingly taboo like the topic of evolution? And this is really a great question, right? This is getting at the heart of things. And uh, what I want to push back on is is that we will stay uh, strangers in both fields, I think the progress we've seen, even just in the past few decades, um, is evidence that the Christian church, the global Christian church, is eagerly pursuing uh, an understanding of how these two fields can coexist. So I, I resonate with this apprehension that we might occasionally feel like strangers in both fields and that... It's a little uncomfortable at church to talk about how you're a scientist, and maybe it's a little uncomfortable at school or in your workplace to talk about how you're a Christian, but I'm hopeful that it won't always be that way. And Now, I'm not just saying that every church will come around and see science as just glorifying God and that every scientist will... Uh, come to know Jesus but what what I think we are distancing ourselves from is this pervasive sense that there is a warfare between the two fields um, the there's there's great social uh, uh, great data coming out of sociologists that shows that that that' that warfare model of the relationship is fading and becoming less and less prominent and I'm really encouraged by that so ty you um, uh, it, it can occasionally be a struggle, but I think that the more we talk about it and, and the more, I hope, again, Disciple Science can be a resource to give people for the, the words and the understandings to help them see that, that they won't always be strangers. And again, there are uh, lots of great resources out there. I'm going to um, suggest a few books for those that are interested in this sort of big picture approach to just the intersection of science and faith. We'll, I will try and recommend books all along the way because I I can't possibly give you all the information that you want to know or that some of you will just want greater depth. This this podcast is in no way intending to give you every shred of evidence out there. Of course, that's 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 crazy. So uh, I'm going to try and pass on what I think are excellent resources. Sometimes books, sometimes movies, sometimes. Uh, maybe lectures to listen to that can be a source of encouragement as we all go out in pursuit of a vision of the compatibility of science and Christian faith. Uh, One book that I like a lot, in part because I'm a biologist, is a book written by Richard Wright, who was a, a biology professor out east, I believe, at Gordon College. I think that's in the New England area. And he wrote a book called Biology Through the Eyes of Faith. And um, that is a a great resource. We've used it in the past for our senior seminar at the university where I teach. And it does a good job in a number of different chapters of addressing the issues in scripture and the issues in philosophy and the issues in the sciences and helping people understand at least that field of of biology. And I'm a biologist, so I'm going to um, I, I, those are that's kind of what I default to. That's what I'm most interested in. But I'll try and provide resources uh, outside of that as well. Uh, I also r- really like a book from John Lennox called God's Undertaker. Has Science Buried God? Now, in, in all these people, I don't know if I agree with him on every single point, And I I don't know if I agree with uh, Professor Lennox on every single thing he he says. But I do think he's really wise and uh, writes really well and uh, gives us a nice framework for how um, science and faith are, are compatible. And then I want to, um, uh, one of my favorite authors and philosophers and theologians um, is Alistair McGrath, and he is uh, an author in the UK, and he's written a number of uh, great books on this topic, two, two related books. One of them is called Surprised by Meaning. And another is called Enriching Our Vision of Reality. And both of these are books that are addressing uh, the intersection between science and faith from uh, sort of the 10,000-mile view, right, the the big-picture um, intersection of how these two fields of knowledge can coexist and provide complementary perspectives on, on what on what life is and what the universe is and what reality is. And so, um, McGrath has just dozens of books, and I find all of them to be really insightful. And so, uh, if you're interested in this field, he's a great place to start because he is um, a highly respected uh, scientist, started as a scientist and then became trained as a theologian. So, he's immersed in, in both fields. So, I hope that's encouraging. I'll post links to um, these books in the uh the notes to the weekly episode and i'll try and be in the habit of doing that every week and if you want to click through those uh, you can um, pick them up at amazon and uh, and dig into uh, a life of pursuing this really fascinating topic of the intersection of science and faith So i think that's enough for today thank you so much for listening to this question and response episode of the Disciple Science podcast. Disciple Science is a nonprofit organization based in St. Paul, Minnesota. And we are committed to exploring the intersection of science and Christian faith and sharing with you a vision of how scientific understandings can inspire a strengthened walk with Jesus. We would appreciate your support of the resources that we're producing The animated videos and the podcast and the website and you can support us uh, by donating Um, we are fully crowdfunded and we really aren't going to be able to uh, continue to produce these resources without support of of listeners like yourselves and so if you go to the website there's a a portal where you can uh, submit your donations everything is fully tax deductible we really appreciate your support uh, you can also support us by telling your friends about this information, telling people that you go to church with about Disciple Science, showing them our videos, sharing them on social media, and uh, and helping us um, get some exposure to a broader audience. We would also, of course, appreciate your support through uh, thumbs up on YouTube or uh, positive ratings on Apple Podcasts and those things. Uh, help uh, provide some exposure and influence those algorithms to help people find Disciple Science when they're interested in this topic. I want to thank Caleb Davis for producing this episode and for composing our theme music. Thanks again for listening, and we'll talk again soon.